Well, it's good to be back here. The past four weeks, we've had Robbie speaking from, uh, uh, he called it the doctor's orders because it was from the book of Luke. And it was the passages leading up. There were four different passages leading up to Passover. So, hey, he had a good thing going. I felt, let's uh, talk more about Luke, Dr. Luke. You know, uh, the disciples had a powerful time with Yeshua during the Passover. And Yeshua had just corrected their understanding of greatness, right? G greatness required them to become a servant. And Yeshua then complimented them about staying with him. And so he promised in Luke 22:30 that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you shall sit upon thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow, that is a lot to receive from the disciples, I mean, for them. That, that was amazing. So let's start and look at Luke 22:31. Now at this point, the disciples should be doing really well. They just spent all this time with Yeshua, he just gave them this wonderful blessing, a promise to them. And then in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has demanded to sift you all like wheat. Now, you in the Greek here is plural. And so Yeshua is really talking to all the disciples, but he repeats the name Simon, Simon, uh, Generally, when the names are repeated, it means that there's something very important about it or there is an affection uh, for that particular person. Just like in Exodus 3, 4, it says Moses, Moses, and in Genesis 22, 11, it says Abraham, Abraham. So it's important to understand that Yeshua was kind of raising him up. And, and look, we know why. We know uh, that Peter was going to uh, be an amazing person of God. But prior to that, we also know that Peter will three times deny Yeshua. And uh, we know that Peter had to rebound from that issue so that he could preach and 3,000 would be saved. And one of the things that I gather from that is that we are important to God. However, our humility brings out God's greatness. And Peter was made humble by God. So at one point he said, I would never deny you. And then after he denied him three times, he was at a low point. He was humble, but he rose up again. Interesting, the idea of sifting you like wheat this is, um, the enemy is after you, right? Uh, and so the enemy was after the disciples, and in particular, Peter. Uh, and Peter was protected by Yeshua, but didn't know that soon, uh, his, in, in his mind, the protection would be going away as Yeshua was uh, taken in by the, by the Roman guards. So uh, Peter was not afraid of Satan. And uh, Peter was in for a surprise, wasn't he? Uh, the enemy was ready to pounce on Peter. Peter was not ready. 
And while Yeshua had the victory in being raised from the dead, the disciples were discouraged because they thought that they had lost Yeshua. And when you sift wheat, you toss it in the air so that it separates from the chaff. And Yeshua knew Peter and the disciples, knew the spiritual battle, knew what was going to happen, and understood that Peter and the others were about to experience a lot of turbulence. So, Peter was reduced to feeling like nothing, but he didn't lose his faith. He got over feeling sorry for himself, and when he did that, he started having that victory over Hasatan. And we need to do the very same thing. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Stay alert, watch out. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. And in Revelations 12, 11, Revelation 12, 11, it says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even in the face of death. And I think Peter had to go through the stay alert, watch out, be careful, and then understand that he did have authority. And when you are doing well, as Peter was rebounding, it's interesting what the next verse says in verse 32 because it says, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers when you've turned back. So what he's saying is, okay, Simon, I've prayed for you, P Peter, I've prayed for you, and you are going to rebound. But when you rebound, I need you to strengthen your brothers. And we see here that Yeshua was interceding for the disciples and interceding for Peter. Now, in Hebrews 10, 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So we realize that that is a main job that we have. If we are doing well, and even if we're not doing well, the more we seek to encourage others the better we will be doing and the better that the Lord will see us in a sense. And, and so how did Yeshua pray for his disciples? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Let's look at verse 39. Uh, we're still in Luke. And Yeshua came out and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you will not be entered into temptation. Now, it says here, as usual. Well, we see just a chapter before in Luke 21, 37, it says, so during the days Yeshua was teaching in the temple, but in the nights he went out and stayed on the Mount of Olives. And I believe he was praying on the, at the Mount of Olives. If you look at Luke 21, you see it's in context of prayer. And so prayer was a key, key area for Yeshua, and we'll see that in a moment. In verse 41, it says, And he pulled back after a stone's throw from them, got on his knees, and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, Yeshua uses the word cup, 
And we see in the Hebrew scriptures, the word cup is used specifically to talk about God's wrath. We see it in Psalm 75, uh, 9, and Isaiah 51, 17. And we see it in Jeremiah 25, 15. Let's look at that. For thus says Adonai, the God of Israel, to me, take this cup of wine of fury from my hand and make all the nations to whom I am sending you drink it. So we get a sense of what the cup means, and when we keep going to verse 43 and 44 in Luke, now an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and in his anguish he was praying fervently, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling down on the ground. So picture this, he's in the garden, right? He knows he's gonna be captured, he knows he's going to be tortured. He knows he's going to be crucified. And so he prays for himself first. And, and, you know, he says, Lord, if I have to go through this, okay, your will be done, not mine. And then we see here that the angel comes and strengthens him. Now, then after that, it says that in verse 44... Uh, I'll repeat it, that, that his, he was praying and his sweat was like drops of blood. Now, I believe that at that point, he was finished praying for himself. This is my opinion. And he was praying for his disciples. Now, where do I get that from? Well, John 17, Yeshua is in the garden, and all of that chapter is his prayer to the Father. Now, in the beginning, like we have just seen, Yeshua is praying for himself, and, and it's... But when we get to verse 11 in John 17, it says, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are. And so we see that Yeshua is praying for his disciples and praying that they will be in unity. And in verse 13, it says, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. So <laughs> picture this Yeshua, he knows he's going to be captured. He knows he's going to be tortured. He knows he's going to be crucified. And he's praying for the disciples to have joy like he has. Does this tell you something about how we are to go through struggles? Okay, then the next thing is we find that it says in verse 15 that, and, and 17, I put those two together because they're similar, keep the disciples from the evil one and make them holy in the truth. So we see that Yeshua is praying that the disciples would stay holy and they would stay far from the evil one. We get to verse 20, and we see, I pray not on behalf of these only. So we've, he's just been praying for his disciples, right? And he's, but he's saying, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for what, what he's basically saying is anybody who hears the message and accepts it, that they all may be one. Now, I've got to tell you, 
if Messianic Judaism and the church ever took this verse seriously, we would have to really make some changes in how we are treating each other. We know that there's all sorts of scripture talking about uh, even preferring the believers and, and making sure that we are one. And so here, this scripture is saying that they all, meaning the disciples and everybody else, all may be one. All the ones that were going to be coming in the name of Yeshua. And then later on it says, be one in us. It says, so also may they be one in us. And so as we are one with each other, as you and I are one, as that is our heart, then we, in a sense, become one in the Lord. Think about that. That as we are one with our brethren, we are promised to become one in the Lord. Then we see in verse 22, it says that, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent and love them as you loved me. We're going to be perfected, but that perfection comes in unity. What is God trying to say? Yeshua in the garden is praying that we would be one in unity. That's almost his last prayer before crucifixion, is that we would be one. And then, even further in verse 24, Father, I also want you, uh, want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. So he's promising that the disciples, that they will see his glory. And then at the end of that verse, in actually verse 26 it is, so that the love with which you loved me, in other words, that the Father loved Yeshua may be in them and I in them. See, if we have the love of Yeshua, then we, in a sense, have God in us. This is the proof text that God is in us if that we can learn to show love. So let's do a quick summary of Yeshua's prayer, which I believe is his heart. Number one, unity. And the result is being in God's name. It's, it's, it's just an amazing thing that we are... It, it's, unity is, comes when we have the understanding of what Yeshua wants. It's in his name that we are in unity. Secondly, we have joy of Yeshua. Third, we are to be kept from the evil one. Fourth, made holy. Fifth, that we would be one so that in our oneness as people, we would be made one with the Lord as well. It's intimacy. God is promising us intimacy as we love people and that we're perfected in unity. 
And even Yeshua says, I in them. But it's based on this understanding of unity. In verse 45, going back to Luke, when he rose up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them asleep, exhausted from grief. I have no idea what they were grieving about because they just, unless they didn't like being corrected by Yeshua, you know, some people don't like correction. And, and he had just corrected them uh, at the end of the Passover Seder, talking about, you know, you're looking at who's the greatest. Well, the greatest is really a servant. Um, and so maybe that grieved them. I don't know. They certainly didn't know what was coming up. So I don't know why they were grieved. But uh, I do know that in verse 46, he says to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. One of the things that I get from this is that when we pray, it is one, to, one of the ways we can lessen temptation that comes really daily. I mean, how many of us are not tempted? tempted to say a bad word, tempted in, in many different areas. So what's the application of all of this for us? I think the application is that we want to have Yeshua's heart. And what does that mean? Well, number one, I believe that we are to humble yourself in your garden. You know, you're doing well, that's your garden. But in order to love and be in unity with others, and that way the world will know who Yeshua is. If we humble ourselves and we love each other, the world will know. Secondly, we need to humble ourselves in our garden in order to love and be in unity with others so that God will reside with you. So the first one is that God, that the world will know the Lord. The second one is that God will reside in you. And third, humble yourself in your garden in order to love so much that you will prepare yourself for sacrifice, knowing that when you sacrifice, it will bring life to those around you. And so I'd like to close with 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may lift you up at the proper time. Cast all your worries on him, for he cares for you. And I believe strongly that this is how Yeshua modeled for us in the garden. Let me read it one more time. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may lift you up at the appropriate time. Cast all your worries on him, for he cares for you. This is a God that I believe you should want to receive. If there is somebody who is listening today and has never received Yeshua as your Lord, he is willing to, he has sacrificed for you. He has sacrificed for you. So I believe that it's reasonable for you to receive him so that you can have fullness of life. So, Repent, say I'm sorry, proclaim Yeshua is my Lord, and dedicate your life to him. My life is yours. I pray now in the name of Yeshua, if there's anybody who has, 
who has accepted Yeshua as their Messiah today, would you call our office in, in Monday morning and let us know? We have some gifts for you. We want to talk to you. Our phone number is 813-831-5673. That's 813-831-LORD or 5673. Lord bless you.